As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see. Welcome to Home Group. This is Wednesday night. I'm Rick Renner, and we're so glad you've joined us. And before I introduce our team, I want to tell you that tonight we're going to be talking about what the New Testament tells us about demons. People really like this subject, but you know what? It's a very important subject because the Bible says a lot about demons and we have authority over them. Amen? Amen. In fact, the subtitle says how to recognize demonic activity. I think that's important. How do you really know if it's demonic activity or not? And how to exercise your God-given authority over demons. And this is the study guide and it's free. All you have to do is go to renner.org. You can download it right now and you can go through this with us every night this week. And it comes with the study guide, what the New Testament tells us about demons. It's five parts. This is really a great series and I would encourage you to get it. And if you need prayer, we're here for you. Just write to us, prayer at renner.org, or you can call us 1-800-542-5593. But tonight, not only are we with you, we're also with Maxime Yasnikov, Joel Renner, and Denise Renner. Welcome, gang. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. And home group, welcome. We're so glad you're with us tonight. And I want to say right off the start, we have authority over demons, and Jesus said they're under our feet. Amen. I just said I had a lot of fun with Daniel and Mark. These oh. <laughs> oh, my, oh my goodness, they were so much They fun. were just a blast. Oh, I, I didn't get to fun. see that. Mama, you would have loved it. Maxime, I, th I thought you were fun. I thought the whole show was fun. Thank you, Joe. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Joe. Maxime, welcome. Mm -hmm. Th thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm ready to learn. I have my Bible. I have my iPad. And our home group is really international home group because I'm 100% Russian. You're a mixture. I, I think am. you're a mixture. You're kind of Russian, kind of American. Thank you. Actually, by passport, Joel is both. He's American yes. and he's Russian. But, but, I mean, he, was, he didn't grow up here. Right. But, but he is a mixture. Well, before we get into the teaching, I have to say something about my new book. I'm so excited that people are ordering my new book. Oh, that's I awesome. just saw on Amazon, it's way, way up in the top. People are really ordering the book. And I'm excited about that because I believe it's a book people need to read. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm talking about last day's survival guide. The foreword is written by Perry Stone, whom I respect so very much. And I have to tell you, this book, it's 496 pages. I basically wrote this book last December wow. before all this stuff happened. It just poured out of me. But it's a book that had been percolating in me for a long, long time. And uh, this book is filled not just with Greek exposition like in most of my books, but this one's really hands-on. It's a very practical. Joe, you always talk about the action steps. Oh, they're exceptional. They're helpful. They're useful. And I think that when you get this book, you'll really find, you know, we use the word gems a lot, but I really do believe you'll find some good gems in this book. Gems that would be great in Sparkling Gems number three one day. You know what, Joel? Are you giving me a suggestion? I'm giving you an assignment. To yeah. write Sparkling Gems number three? Go for it. I could. I could. But hey, tonight let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter five. And tonight we're going to see Jesus' authority over demons. And he gave us authority. We saw that in the previous two programs. Jesus said, behold, Luke 10, 19, I give you authority over all the works of the enemy. Amen. 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 And the word over is the Greek word epi, 
It carries the idea of a position of superiority. We have a position of superiority over all the works of the enemy, all of them. Amen. We're not under him. We're over him. We have a position of superiority. Amen. But when we come to Mark chapter 5, we find a remarkable event, just remarkable. And I love this chapter because it really demonstrates Jesus' authority in every realm. And when you come to Mark chapter 5, do you have your Bibles? Let's go there. Mark chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Listen to this, verse 4. Because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Now, this story is repeated three times. It is repeated in Matthew chapter 8, here in Mark chapter 5, and in Luke chapter 8. And in all three of these instances, it's the same story, but every gospel writer records little details that the other gospel writer doesn't record. There are three gospels which basically tell all the same stories with details that vary a bit, and those are called the synoptic gospels, and that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's kind of in a category by itself. But when you come to Matthew's gospel, Matthew says there were two men. Mm -hmm. Well... Mark and Luke says there was one. Does that mean there's a conflict? No, it does not. It just means that Matthew gave the broader picture and Mark and Luke zeroed in on the one of the two men who was the most severely demonized. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, that when Jesus came to the other side, he came into the country of the Gazarenes or the Gadarenes. And there were two demonized men there who had terrorized the entire region. Now, we have been there several times. We have filmed there. In fact, if you're watching this week's regular TV program, I begin every TV program this week there in the country of the Gadarenes and Maxim. It's an amazing place, isn't it? I was just thinking about that place. I, I remember how I was standing there and thinking, how is it possible that, that you tell all the stories by memory when we were there and filming? Uh-huh. That's what I was thinking just... But, but you know, ago. when you go there, you can really see it. Well, the Sea of Galilee used to be bigger. It was, it was deeper. And the water came up right to the base of that cliff. And in that cliff, there was caves. There were graves, really rough, and a lot of pigs running around that area. And in those caves and in those graves were these two demonized men. And there was a road that went right along the bottom of the cliff on that side of the Sea of Galilee. So if you wanted to go from one end to the other end of the Sea of Galilee, on that side, you had to go on that road. Well, these men were so terrifying that when people would try to travel on that road, these men would jump out of the caves and jump out of the tombs and would terrify everybody. And so the Bible says no one wanted to pass by that way. It scared everybody except Jesus. And it beckoned Jesus to action. And that's now where we come to Mark chapter 5 and verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, under the country of the Gadarenes. Now I'm going to use my notes. And the Bible says 
that there was a man with an unclean spirit. First of all, the Bible says a man with an unclean spirit. You know what the Greek says? It says impnumati. He was in the grip of an unclean spirit. And this is very important because this is not a man that had a spirit. The spirit had this man. This man was literally in the grip or he was in the control of an unclean spirit you know, there are people who maybe have unclean spirits. This man was in the grip of an unclean spirit. It had him. He was totally seized, totally taken captive by these unclean spirits. And the word unclean depicts something that is impure, filthy, lewd, or foul. And guess what? There may be an indication here of how this man opened a door for him to become taken with this demon spirit. He may have done something foul. He may have mentally played with something unclean. You know, you have to be very careful. You can open doors to bad things. And this man became possessed. He became taken or demonized with an impure, foul, lewd spirit. That's really what it means. Just lewd, foul, vile spirit. And the Bible says it was unclean. And in verse 3, it goes on to say, No man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Wow. But the Bible says no man could bind him. The word bind is a form of the Greek word deo, which means to bind with chains or to bind with some kind of impediment. The word chains is the Greek word for handcuffs. So they literally put handcuffs on this man. But the handcuff described here does not describe one like you're thinking of. It wasn't a handcuff here and a handcuff here and a chain in between. It was a solid piece of metal, almost like a collar, that was wrapped around both arms like this. Like a clasp. Like a clasp. So your arms were bonded together. And the Bible says no man could bind him, not even with this metal that had been bonded around his arms. And let's go on and see what it says next. It says because that he had been often bound, Often bound in Greek means repeatedly they had tried to wrap him and keep him in this metal that was cuffed around his arms with fetters and chains. And now he uses the word fetters. And the word fetters is a translation of the word podos. Here's the word pedes. The word podos is the word for the feet. So now we know that he had almost a cuff wrapped around his arms like this. And he had chains on his feet. And the Bible says he had been often bound with fetters and chains. Often they'd put it on his feet. Often they'd put it around his arms. And the Bible says the chains had been plucked asunder by him. Plucked asunder is the Greek word which means to rip in half. To rip in half. It's talking about the chains, what we would call the handcuff, but really it's describing that solid piece of metal that had been wrapped around his arms like this. Okay, everybody try to put your arms together like this. All right. It's kind of hard to do, isn't it? Just imagine, if your arms were bonded together with a piece of metal like this, you don't have a lot of leverage in your arms. But this man was so demonically energized, 
Even when his arms were bonded together, the Greek word diaspau, he could pluck it asunder. He could rip the metal in half. That is literally what it means. And it goes on to say that the fetters, what are fetters? Remember the word pedes, podes, on the feet. The chains on his feet were broken in pieces. Broken in pieces is the Greek word suntribo, which is the very word used to describe to crush grapes or to grind bones into dust. So now the man is so demonically energized, he can rip the metal off of his arms, just literally pull it apart. He can grind his ankles together so hard that he can literally reduce the metal around his ankles to dust, just like you would crush grapes or grind bones into dust. This man simply cannot be kept bound, even though they had tried many times. The chains had been plucked asunder by him, the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Tame? This is the word damazo. The word damazo is the Greek word which was used to describe wild animal tamers. So they brought in men who normally were professionals at taming bears, lions, tigers, the most ferocious of beasts, and men who were wild animal tamers could not tame this man. They could not domesticate him. Well, think about how amazing this is. If they have put chains on his hands and they've put chains on his feet, it means they have brought in professionals at imprisonment. These are professionals. Those who are professionals at binding prisoners, they can't bind this man. So somebody said, let's bring in a wild animal tamer and see what a wild animal tamer can do with this man. They bring in a man who tames the wildest of beasts. They have no success. This is a man that is incorrigible. Nobody can help this man. Nobody. Isn't that something? He was a perfect case for Jesus. That's right. Amen. But hey, let's go on. And it says, and always... Night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs. And when the Bible says always night and day, the Greek says always during the night, always during the day, whether it was day, whether it was night, it didn't matter, 24 hours a day. He was in the mountains. And then the Bible adds he was in the what? Tombs. In the tombs. The word in is the word en in Greek, which means he was right among the tombs. So not only was this man incorrigible, but he was living in the vicinity of death. These demon spirits had driven him to live in the territory in the shadow of death. Now you're going to find when we get to Friday's program, this man had a house. When Jesus healed him, he told him to go home to his house, the word oikos. He had his own house. But he had been driven from his house by these demon spirits. This was a man that one time had a real life. He had his real life. And now he's living with death on his mind. In fact, when you read verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, over and over and over it says, he was in the tombs, in the tombs, in the tombs, in the tombs. This man was closer to death than he was to life. And look what he was doing among the tombs. Crying. The word crying is the word kradzo. Describes a blood-curdling scream. A blood-curdling scream. He wasn't screaming to scare others. He was just tormented. And in fact, the word crying means an incessant screaming. A person so tormented 
that he moans and he screams. It is a blood-curdling scream, just tormented incessantly. In fact, he is so tormented. The verse goes on to say, he was crying and cutting himself with stones, catacopto. Cutting Greek means downward. The word copto means to gash. You put the two words together. The man is literally gashing himself with stones. Now, there are two options about how you could interpret this, and really they're both correct. First of all, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the devil was absolutely stealing this man's life. Mm -hmm. The devil was out to slaughter this man. And the devil was out to liquidate this man, driving this man to cry and cut himself with stones. But you know, I believe the second option is, and I believe it's right. Nobody could help this man. Imagine. He had had a normal life. He had lived in a house. He had friends. You're going to find out later. He had a family. Now he's naked. We know that from what the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 8, the same story. He's naked. He's driven of the devil. He has no peace for his soul. He's living among tombs in the cliffs along the side of the Sea of Galilee. Those who work in prisons and with prisoners cannot keep him bound. Those who tame animals cannot bind him. And you can be absolutely sure that the religious folks had also been there and they had tried. Nobody could help this man. And what I believe is this man may have really thought his only way to be set free was to kill himself. Think how the devil often says to people, just end it. Just end it. There's no hope for you. Just end it. And you know, all suicide is not the result of demonic activity. But if demons have their way, they ultimately will drive a person to the point of self-destruction. That's what really we find in this chapter. What do you think of that, Denise? Well, I think that the devil's plan is really clear. He, he has one road. It's to kill, steal, and destroy. It's not to give life. It's not to give hope. It's to absolutely take everything that he can. And Jesus absolutely opposes him and overcame him and stripped him of his power. Joel, what do you think about what we're studying? I think about later what's come, what we're going to read is how Jesus came and gave him a life. And he gave him life more abundantly. I think Jesus restored his whole entire life. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jesus will do for you. Amen. He'll do it for any of us. And I just want to believe that with you because this person seemed hopeless. I think the whole area gave up on them, those two individuals, mm -hmm. but this one specifically. Mm -hmm. But Jesus didn't. He crossed the whole entire Galilee Sea just for this one person. Uh, and then, for, and then for, left. For both of them. That's amazing. And this person wanted to join Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jesus said, no, you need to stay. Wow. It was just, it's a wonderful story. Well, look at verse 7, you guys. Verse 7 is so powerful. It says that the man with the spirit cried out with a loud voice. Cried out again is the word kradzo, anakradzo. It means to repeatedly, incessantly cry, cry, cry loud. It describes a screaming, loud, loud voice. And said, what have I to do with thee? Jesus, thou son of the most high God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Well, how was Jesus tormenting the spirit? How was Jesus doing that? Well, the verse goes on in verse 8 and says that Jesus said unto him, Come out of the man, 
thou unclean spirit. Well, when the Bible says in verse 8 that Jesus saith unto him, the word saith, the tense there, literally means, and Jesus kept on saying, come out of the man. 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 I said, come out. 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 Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. That clearly means that when Jesus first spoke to this demonic infestation, it didn't budge. It did not come out. Well, that's unusual because other places in the Gospels tells us Jesus cast the spirits out with a word, with just a word. Demons are easy to deal with. They're easy to deal with. You can cast them out with a word. But when Jesus spoke to this one, it didn't move. It's like there was no response. Well, rather than Jesus walking away, like those that dealt with prisoners walked away, rather than Jesus walking away like the wild animal tamers that could do nothing, Jesus didn't walk away. He just stayed right there. He was not going to leave until this deal was done. And the Greek literally means Jesus kept on saying, come out, come out, come out, come out, come out. I would translate, I said, come out. Did you hear me? I said, come out. I am not leaving till you come out. I said, come out of the man, that unclean spirit. And notice that Jesus becomes quite derogatory here. He calls it an unclean spirit. You filthy, vile, foul, stinking, crude, lewd thing. I said, come out. And it didn't come out. It did not come out. And that's when Jesus finally asked in verse 9, what is your name? Wow. And the Spirit answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. All right, guys, what is a legion? Anybody know? 6,000 soldiers. About 6,000. The word legion is the word for a legion of Roman soldiers, which was a little short of 6,000, so about 6,000. And the demon says, you want to know my name? My name is Legion, for we are many. So it's one demon speaking on behalf of we. There's more inside there. It's the equivalent of saying, you want to know what my name is? Uh, you're missing the point. It's not one of us guys in here. There's a legion of us. There's 6,000 of us on the inside of this man. We are many. And in Greek, we are many would be better translated. We are many in number. We are a multitude. We are a vast number. So this man that is demonized living in the cliffs has been infested with nearly 6,000 demons. Now, before you get stuck on that, I want to tell you what this came to mean to me many, many, many years ago when I first started studying this. Because I thought to myself, you know, we're, we often don't understand spiritual capacity. Mm. Our spiritual capacity. Our spiritual capacity. If this man had enough space inside him to hold 6,000 demons, I mean, how do you put... 6,000 demons inside one man. How do you do that? It must mean that the spiritual capacity of every person is bigger than we've ever imagined. 
And when I was first studying this, oh, I don't know, it must have been 30 years ago, I said to the Lord, how do you put 6,000 demons inside one man? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, listen, if he had the spiritual capacity to hold 6,000 demons, then what is your capacity to hold God? Well, that's quite a question. And I can give you the answer. You ready for this? Colossians mm. chapter 2 and verse 9 describes Jesus. And it says, In Him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do we believe that? Absolutely. Yeah. It says all the fullness of the Godhead. What does all the fullness of the Godhead mean? Does it mean a little tad, a little no, bit? No, it means completely, entirely full. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Jesus bodily. Right. We're told in other scriptures that God <coughs> gave the Spirit to Jesus without measure. Jesus was jam-packed to the full. The fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Jesus bodily. And then verse 10 says, I'm going to read you from the Amplified Version, the classic Amplified. And you are in Him, made full, and having come to the fullness of life in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead and reach full spiritual stature. Which means, according to Colossians 2.10, we have the capacity to hold what Jesus held. Jesus, in Jesus, dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And Paul says, the Greek literally says, and you have received that same fullness. That's technically, legally, what belongs to us. That is our capacity. Every one of us, look at me. I have the capacity. Denise, I'm looking at you. Joel, I'm looking at you thinking of capacity. Maxime, I'm thinking of capacity. And this is why I often say I've really never met a spirit-filled Christian. I've met spirit-touched Christians. I'm spirit-touched. Spirit-filled implies maximum capacity. Our capacity is bigger than any of us have ever dreamed. If this man could hold 6,000 demons, hey, just flip that over and think about us. How much capacity do we have to hold the fullness of the Spirit of God? We can hold so much more of the Holy Spirit than we have ever dreamed. I just have to say that. Isn't that encouraging? It's very oh, encouraging. Very powerful. Very encouraging. It's powerful. And, and it to me, it says that we can go after him, seek him, spend time with him, ask for more of him as much as we want. And Denise, there's one more thing. This demon-possessed man was possessed with demons and he behaved demonically. But when you become filled to the maximum with the Spirit of God, guess what happens? You, start you begin to behave like God himself because you're so <coughs> filled with God. Can you believe this home group is over? We have barely gotten started. Uh -oh. Hey, we're going to come back tomorrow night. We're done. But if you need prayer, please write to us, prayer at renner.org, or call us 1-800-742-5593. We want to pray with you. And be sure to go to our website and get the free download on what the New Testament teaches about demons. And when we come back tomorrow night, we're going to pick up right here, and we're going to see what Jesus did with this man. And my friend, you 
have authority over all the works of the enemy. See you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.